we're resuming our five solar series because to this year marks the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And during those 16th century, uh, the reformers were waving these five solas. A sola uh, in Latin, it means alone or only. And the five sola became uh, the five life-changing principles, the doctrines that change the world. And one of the reasons why we are meditating on, uh, studying on this, is not just to commemorating and celebrating the Reformation 500 years ago, but also these are the principles that continually reform us, reform the church, and to reform the culture and the trends of our day. And today comes to sola fide, faith alone. And sola fide is at the center of the Reformation uh, movement. It is called, often called the material principle of the Protestant Reformation. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, is known as formal principle of the Reformation. Formal because from which the, all the forms come in, coming out, the Scripture gives those uh, principles about our salvation. But Sola Fide is at the heart of this Reformation. And Martin Luther called it a, the chief article from which all other doctrines have flowed. John Calvin said, this is the gospel, uh, this is the principle that upon which our salvation hinges on. Secondly, it is short for justification by faith alone. The justification is obviously a theological word uh, from the legal term. So we will uh, define that a little bit later, but oftentimes it's, it's known as a salvation by faith alone. So why is this so important? That Martin Luther basically risked his life and because of the reformers, we have the true and whole gospel in front of us. And thirdly, it is inseparable from the other solas. It's not just a stand by itself, but it's all interconnected. Let's, let me show you this way. Starting with the scripture alone, as the only final authority teaches us about our salvation. And it teaches that our justification is on the basis of Christ alone, which is a solas Christus, by God's grace alone, sola gratia, received through faith alone, is today's message in Sola Fide. And the final principle, final cause of that entire thing is for the ultimate purpose of God's glory and God's glory alone. Soli Deo Gloria. I want to do a few things uh, today, this morning. The simple questions that we're asking is, number one, what does... Scripture teach about sola fide. Remember, Scripture alone is the final authority. That means my opinion and your opinion, experts' opinion, really is not the final. And it really doesn't matter when asserts the point strongly or not. 
the question is, does Bible teach sola fide? And there's obviously uh, ongoing controversy in diverse debates between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism. Uh, although there's a, some harmony, but it's, it, there's a apparent inevitable differences between the two. And we'll find out. And then number two, because of that, how does sola fide distinguish it from the Roman Catholic view? Um, I will try to keep it tight and maybe just so many things are there and one thing I realize is the Roman Catholic view is very complex and very confusing in some sense because it wasn't uh, they didn't come up within a room overnight. Sometimes it would take centuries to come up with final uh, church doctrine. So remember that uh, the final authority in Roman Catholic's point of view is not just the scripture alone, but the tradition, what the Pope said and the church teaching says. And apart from scripture, it has changed over the years, evolved quite a bit in that. So it will actually help us to have a crystal clear view of what sola fide is. And we're going to actually go through some theology together. And number three, finally, in what ways can we uphold sola fide to reform today's church and culture and trends, starting with ourselves? Let's start with the scripture's teaching on sola fide. Romans 3, verse 21 to 26 is a paragraph, and 20, 28 I included. Um, Several renowned biblical scholars and commentators call this passage most important par paragraph ever written because of the essence of the sola fide and salvation by faith alone is clearly displayed in this passage. So with that in mind, look at verse 21. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Let's draw scripture teaching four things from this passage. Number one, the need of our salvation is due to our sinfulness and God's wrath. Um, Romans 1, 8, 18 already 
Paul mentioned that God's wrath is upon all unrighteousness. And the problem from our point of view is we tend to look at horizontal view of whether we are sinner or not. But it's, it's like a, a looking at each other who's taller. But just imagine that you go on a 20, 20 uh, floor on top of the building and looking down. Who's taller? There is no distinction. Another way of uh, looking at it is maybe you might be a very fit, athletic, and maybe uh, you're a triathlon person. Some of, some of you might not even know how to swim. If we line up in Laguna Beach, and our goal is to swim to Hawaii. Is there a difference from up high? No. There is the word ha-martia. It's a Greek word, most common word for sin. And there is a, twice it's repeated in this uh, verse 23, for all have sinned. It's already past tense. Uh, already missed the mark. It came from the archery language. And then still fall short of it. It is missing the mark right now. Why? God is perfect and holy. His perfect design was that we would fellowship with him. But he, he is perfect holiness. The light, as light cannot coexist with darkness, it requires a person who fellowship with God to be sinless, to be righteous. But from God's point of view, it would be like swimming to Hawaii. Nobody cannot make it. No human effort. No church attendance in Bible reading. No good works in helping the poor will make us to reach God's perfect standard. And on top of that, God's wrath is there. Romans 6.23 says the wage of sin is death. And the gospel starts with that bad news. But the good news is that God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish have an everlasting life. The first, we need to read, uh, we need to see the need of our ju justification in our own sinfulness, in gravity of God's holiness and wrath. Begins with that. Number two, the source of our justification is God and his grace alone. 24, verse 24 says it. God has given this justification as a free gift. Grace simply defined as undeserved favor of God. Undeserved gift, free gift of God. If you deserve it, if you can merit it, it is not grace. So obviously, if no one can reach God's standard and live a perfect, obedient life, and then if, even if it takes a one sin, it, it takes one person, one sin makes a, a sinner out of us. But the source is God and His grace. The grace involves three conditions. They're undeserving, unmerited, and it is free. Do you, do you know that the obstacle of the gospel, the goodness of Jesus Christ, is in this simplicity? Because even, even in our days, 
There is no free lunch concept. Have you ever written, I mean, have you ever received those kind of phone calls? And the funny thing that happened to me is I got tired of these telemarketers. Congratulations, you won $500,000. And then I said, no, thank you. Have a good day. And they said, you're welcome. Bye-bye. And he hung up. I guess he got tired of doing the same script over and over, too. There's always a catch to it. Is it. Could it be really true? And then the hum, human fallen heart is that we are, uh, our fallen heart is prideful in such a way that if I cannot earn it, I do not want it. If it's free, I cannot contribute to anything. It just gets messed up. And I believe Roman Catholicism, without opening the Bible, they did their sincere search for the right way to God and salvation. When they closed it, a lot of the other things came in has a lot to do with the merit. There is even a concept of a treasure of merit. And treasure of merit that comes from the idea is that Christ's work is the first merit, Mary's merit, and the science merit is distributed. That's why indulgences the piece of paper that a pope says your sins are forgiven, and then when you go to uh, purgatory, the purgatory is not hell. Purgatory is uh, in uh, Roman Catholic's uh, doctrine is a place that you need to purge your uncleanness. Eventually, you will get to heaven, but it will. The, the more you unclean you are, the more venial sins you have, the more spent, the longer time you have to spend there. But by sharing that kind of, uh, you know, saint's merit and others' merit, and you actually buy that piece of paper, and that money goes to supposedly in goodwill for the poor. I know, e even for, for us, is. It's nonsensical, but how did it all about come, came about? Because the source of justification, God and his grace, isn't just sitting well with people because of our pride. <coughs> Ray Stemmen, in one of the uh, late pastor who used to pastor in uh, Northern California uh, said that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I, I like that. It is free for us, but it wasn't free for God. Christ paid everything for our, on our behalf. We cannot merit it but Christ's merit filled in all the things required to propitiation, to, to, to satisfy God's justice in that. Thirdly, we see the ground for our justification in verse 24 and 25, which is Christ and Christ's cross, the cross of Christ. There's a two aspects into this. One is a passive obedience of Christ by dying on the cross for us, atoning death for the cross, which accomplished at least three things here. Justification is a legal term again. To count righteous, count just. Therefore, acquittal is the legal term. 
uh, equivalent to ours. And secondly, redemption. A redemption is you pay the cost of slavery and set them free. Ransom price and the freedom of sin and death we have. And then thirdly, propitiation. Propitiation is, to simply put, God's wrath is satisfied. And this is on outwardly for, for us. Because when you, when you think about uh, anything that is difficult in Scripture, we tend to think of from man's point of view, in a horizontal way, it just doesn't make sense. So the right posture to approach the Scripture is, how can I think about the Scripture from God-centered point of view? This is what I mean. I don't like when I'm angry. Oh, man, I, I get ugly, and sometimes I, when I'm yelling at on top of my lung to our, our boys, uh, I have an out-of-body experience. Have, have, you, have you done it? So you watch myself, and I'm telling, what is wrong with you? Calm down. But I cannot calm down. I'm just lost a temper. That's wrath. And God is wrath. God is wrathful against all unrighteousness, including me, is it doesn't look good, is, is it? Because we project our human shortcomings onto God. How about, how about this idea? God forbid this ever would happen. A person kidnapped your child and raped her. She's only 12, or maybe 10 or 11. And then you are at the court. You can hardly sit down, contain the, contain the just fury that you feel. Of course, if we love that child, we should have that. But judge nonchalantly, uh, come on, maybe he had a bad day. Give him a break. No, everybody has a bad day. And then he even smirks and cracks a joke at that. It will be absolute, absolutely wrong. At that, at that point, when somebody expressed anger, wrath, holy wrath, that's just. That's righteous. We cannot fully understand that because we are human. We are wicked in our heart. And our, our anger is never, I was, at least usually, without sin. There's so much of attachment of self is in there. But God is wrathful because of his righteous, perfect righteousness and holiness against all Sins and unrighteousness. So in sending his son, he will actually become just in justifying the unjust. If you justify the sinners, unrighteous people, and declare he or she is righteous now, but you would not be a righteous judge. But he himself took our place on our behalf, died on the cross for us. The second aspect is also important. Christ's active obedience is the reason why he lived the 33 or 34 years of his life, earthly life, is to live a perfect, obedient life as merited righteousness. That merited righteousness is the basis and ground for our justification, our own righteousness, although we are not just or we are not righteous. 
And fourthly, the means of our justification is faith alone. We receive the justification, salvation, as the free gift of God by faith and faith alone because it is all done. Christ has the penalty for our sin. The last word that he cried out is it is all finished. It is finished. What is finished? The work of salvation for our work work for the salvation so in this sense if you look at uh, justification by faith alone justification is salvation is by faith alone why does it why does it make sense because if we flip it around Justification is by works alone. The only works that counts is the righteousness of Christ. His passive and active obedience. And that is imputed, clothed on us. Exodus study, we saw... um, the day of Passover, they were to put the blood of the lambs on the door, doorpost. And then angel of the angel of death will come and look at the blood on the doorpost, not the people inside, and then he will pass over. This is a foreshadow of what Christ's blood. And our faith is empty hand receiving that free gift. And Stan just read it. Romans 1, 16 and 17 is a passage that Martin Luther finally opened his eyes, years of life as a monk seeking the way of salvation. And he went through all kinds of meritorial work. And then he saw just will shall live by faith. And he opened his eyes. The Spirit, the Spirit of God opened his eyes. And I think I've talked to various of different kinds of friend, friends who are religious and not religious, and then including the people who are religious who know a lot about Bible, stumble over the simple fact. And then when, when I ask questions like, how do you know you're saved? Or how does it become how does one become a true believer, Christian, Christ follower? I don't think I've found that many people. Maybe nine out of ten, they give a distorted version of the gospel, incomplete version of the gospel. Maybe one of those rare cases they understood faith and faith alone and by grace and grace alone the gospel is clear to them but willingly reject that. But a lot of times they think you got to be good. You got to go to church and yeah, I don't want to do all that. But faith and faith alone is actually the heart of the gospel. Now, stay with me. You need to be alert in the next few steps because I'm going to zoom through it really fast. We're going to do some theology together. Let's start with this. 
Westminster Shorter Catechism succinctly synthesized what we've been studying as a definition of justification by faith. And it, does just, uh, it defines justification this way. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. I'm going to stop there. Justification takes two things. Um, we oftentimes think of it as forgiving your sins only. The pardon is important, but one is not justified, righteous, until there is acceptance as righteous in God's sight. Only for the righteousness of God, a righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So here is the difference between the definition of Protestant uh, reformers versus uh, Catholic, Roman Catholic view. The key word for justification is imputation of God's Christ's righteousness. It's not ours, but Christ covers us with his righteousness. In Roman Catholic's point of view, grace is they kind of viewed as some kind of a substance. You inject, or the, the, their language is the infusion of God's transforming grace is in you, starting with baptism, and then you become righteous. And this is where it gets really complicated. You're just, just justified, but your justification is at the risk of your sin. Venial sin, normal, typical sin is okay, but mortal sin is, kills the saving grace in you. That's why you need to go to confession. And then when you go to confession to the priest, and the priest will say absolution. So you need to do such and such sacraments of penance. And then you have to say so many times of Hail Mary. And you doing all that is, they say the second plank of justification comes in. Oh, this is very insecure of living Christian life. No wonder um, there is a religious effort. Let's take a look at about few things in um, the difference between sola fide and Roman Catholic view, a more systematic way. And the verse that I want us to think about as we go into this is Galatians 3, verse 2 and 3. To show us that this is not a first time, even the first century, there are people who were encountered with false gospel, distorted gospel. Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Galatia, in chapter 3, verse 1, he writes this way. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And obviously, they became a Christian and they received the Holy Spirit by faith. And they were getting into this legalism, doing extra Y and Z to achieve their salvation. Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So Roman Catholic view, starting with uh, sacerdotalism. What is sacerdotalism? It's a Latin word. Uh, sacerdotal means uh, priest 
or another way of sacred offering could be that everything hinges upon the essential system of sacerdotalism. In other words, priest is necessary, uh, needed to mediate between God and us. The justification intrinsically involves sacerdotalism, which is a priestly system where priests act as a mediator between God and mankind. The first infusion of God's righteousness and justification is the baptism. So, uh, when baptism happens, there's an infusion of God's grace of justification goes into that person. And that you need to maintain that by cooperation. So what happens, as I mentioned, when you sin and mortal sin, you need to go through penance. Uh, by the way, let me just make this very clear. Galatians, I mean, James, James 5, um, Apostle Paul and other apostles, the New Testament principle is that we are also to confess our sins to one another. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is that we think of a priest or pastor as a mediator, and that person is somehow holds the delegation of forgiveness, a remission of sins. That's where it goes wrong. And in your men's group, in your woman's group, or you, in my private office time, you come in and you confess your sins and you unload your stuff. That's very healthy. I ought to do that. Actually, I've done that in, in my men's group as well. Things that I can never share in front of you guys here. But what's wrong is that the penance acts in a meritorial way. This is not a meritorial to receive God's word, but to get back into salvation, to maintain that justification. So you could see that, right? So if you open the Bible and really read through it, it doesn't, need, it doesn't require a theologian to understand that justification is legal term declaration, count as righteous, not guilty, acquittal, happens, and then sanctification is a process of Christian life that you strive with all your heart to live your Christian life by faith and by grace together. Monergism happens. Synergism is that how we live our life and how we surrender our hearts matters. That's why cheap gospel is so messed up in our generation. It matters how we live our everyday life. But the problem is, in Roman Catholic's point of view, justification is actually the ending of it. That's why you could lose this. So sanctification process and justification, it's all messed up. But simply put, salvation is three way of looking at it, all interconnected. You cannot separate it. In the past, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, justification. In the present, we are being saved by the power of sin, sanctification. That's why we grow in spirit and we are more free and we sin, uh, we overcome the sins that we struggle with. And then in the future, there is a glorification. We shall be free from the presence of sin. On that day, when we see Jesus face to face, when we get to heaven, there will be no longer struggle. Our sin nature will be gone. And we will become like Christ. And we will struggle no longer with sin. The second aspect is a justification as an infusion of righteousness in Roman Catholic view. And I, like I said, I think I already mentioned that in baptism. And that's why 
I don't know, some of you guys might have grown up in uh, Catholic Church. At the center of, at the highlight of each Mass, Catholic service, there is a Eucharist. There is a Lord's Supper at the end, communion. Why? The communion is actually your receiving uh, Christ's body and Christ's blood. Transubstation happens and then receiving that grace, infusion of grace, is important. Thirdly, faith is necessary. It is a necessary condition. Oh, this is one thing that we could kind of oversimplify. Uh, Protestant, we believe in salvation by faith and they believe in salvation by works. No, it's not that simple. That they would say faith is not only foundation, initiation, root for justification, but it is not sufficient condition. Like the cooperation of works and sacraments are required. And fourthly, if we put an equation, simple per equation for us to understand, Roman Catholic view is that justification equals faith plus works. <clears throat> because of Martin Luther, in Toronto, uh, Trento, Italy, all the councils got together, bishops in 16th century. They call it a Council of Trent, uh, which is still revered by modern-day Catholic believers as well. And one of the canon, the declaration uh, as a result of council, the canon 9, they say this, if anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the uh, obtaining the grace of justification and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will let him be anathema, excommunicated. This is still the view. Do you, do you realize um, when you think about, um, I don't know, maybe some of you guys you know, went Black Friday shopping. Um, well, Kate got a good deal on microwave. So I'm grateful for that. <laughs> but if you, if you think about uh, how do I tell which one is counterfeit Gucci and the real Gucci, the closer they are, the, the more alike they are, the more difficult it is. Even the counterfeit dollar as well. And then do you know that the closer they are, that's probably the most the damaging difference ever in, in, in justification. In, it, it is all thing about our salvation. And the Roman Catholic view is so similar to the scripture, and yet it's a slightly different because of faith plus works happens. Because it seems like it even, you know, many Protestant churches or a lot of this tendency of justification by faith and plus works happens. How about reformed view, reformation view uh, of justification? The Protest Protestantism, and I put biblical Protestantism because there's a lot of deviation from the Reformation movement, the five solas, and then some Protestant Church became very man-centered, very liberal. That's why I put biblical Protestantism. Number one, 
justification as imputation of righteousness. I'm reiterating again Christ's righteousness, his atoning death and perfect obedient life is imputed to the unrighteous by faith and faith alone. In other words, it is justification of the unjust on Christ's work, basis of Christ's work. Number two, grace has no human merit involved. Um, God's grace is given to sinner and is a free gift in declaring sinner just through faith alone. And this is the part that we ought to be very, very vigilant and careful. Why? Because maybe some of you uh, started getting serious about reading the Bible, uh, getting involved in helping the poor. You went to homeless outreach or you, are, you volunteer as a welcome team. As soon as you've done that, there is a little lures in your mind because I put my effort in it. I must deserve a little bit more. Uh, 20 years ago, I partied a lot. I, I drank a lot. And now, I actually serve the poor. Am I not good? Can somebody notice me? If I put it in a simple way, um, it will be like a straightforward line in contrast to what Roman Catholic view, we could say justification equals faith plus nothing. But I think this is a lot wiser. Archie Sproul has this uh, way of putting it because of what Martin Luther said. Faith equals justification plus works. Some of you guys already got it. If it's real faith, a true faith, and saving faith, not only will you not have justification, God declaring your righteousness, you are in heaven, you are saved once for all, and that you will never lose that salvation because God's preservation, perseverance of your faith, God holding your hand even if you let, let, let him go is there. But if it's alive, there will be a fruit. Jesus works. Martin Luther said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Oh, isn't that good? If you remember that. We are saved by faith alone, but not by your faith that is alone. If it is true faith, there will be fruit. If it is false, pseudo faith, there will be no fruit. In our days, there are so many easy believism, and there is no fruit, and there is no desire to please God, there is no desire to read Bible, there is no desire to get involved in the church in, in a very consistent way. That is a sign of no life, no spiritual life, no eternal life. So because of that, even back then, 16th century, reformers came up with, so what are the components, essential components of saving faith? Three components. Number one is noticia. And once again, it's an all Latin word. Noticia is a, basically information, content, knowledge. We need a basic knowledge of what Christ has done and for our sins and for God's love for us, the basic content of knowledge is necessary. Number two, assent. To agree 
to buy in a census, the belief of saving faith. The problem is easy believism stuff here. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sin? Yes. Do you believe there is no other way that you could be saved? Yes. I believe. But mental assent is never a saving faith. The third aspect is trust, fiducia. There is a commitment aspect of it, commitment of saving faith. I, I think if, if I illustrate it this way, so when I met Kate and uh, basic information, she sharp and she's seven years younger, good. Um, <laughs> she, she was a editor and an English major and I, I could get a lot of help. I, I aspired to be a writer someday. And then, is she the right one? I believe. I believe she's the right one for me. I tell my friends, she's the right one. Kate's the right one. I found my love. And then, if you are telling me, if you're asking me, then what are you, what are you doing? Go ahead and get married. Oh, I, I'm not sure. Because I'm shy about commitment. For the rest of my life, she will be my love? What if my change? Oh, we could have that doubt, right? But on that day, if I say, God is my witness, in a covenant with you, in riches and poor, in health and sickness, till death do us apart, I will love you. I will promise to love you. I commit myself to be yours and you mine. Not because of legal document, but because of that commitment, we are married. And I'm so thankful that I did that. And some of you, maybe grown up in Christian church, and oh, you, you know A to Z. Maybe a lot of what I just shared is not, nothing new to you. But in Jesus' name, affectionately, kindly, I want to ask you, because I love you, have you crossed the line of commitment? I trust you as my Lord and Savior. You are my King, my Lord. You are my center from this point on. Until then, there is no real fruit of changes, including the people, what people talk about, love, joy, and peace, and the gospel songs become yours, as if you, somebody wrote songs for you. What a tragedy if you become a religious person doing a lot of religious things without experiencing real joy of salvation. And not to mention the eternal destiny. The sad thing is there are so many people who are so close at the door of salvation but lured by this distortion of pseudo counterfeit gospel. My time's almost up, but I want to finish it with three applications. How do you uphold the sola fide to reform today's church, meaning ourselves? Number one, we are to uphold sola fide by guarding the true gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, 
and in Christ alone. Galatians 1, 8 through 9. But even if we or angels from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let it be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary, contrary to the one we receive, one you received, let him be accursed. There are, even nowadays, so many different types of distortion happens, not to mention cult. Oh, by the way, the Roman Catholics could not have assurance of salvation. Fanny Crosby wrote that hymn, famous, Blessed Assurance, that Jesus is mine. Oh, this is so important. If we take true gospel and faith alone, and the faith means, true faith means the gospel that in you, as you have salvation, justification, you know what that means. Even when you're going through a tough time of trials of financial difficulty, you have eternal life. Even when you have cancer and your loved ones go through difficult, very serious illness, that you hope is in heaven. I just saw my brother on Thanksgiving. And you say, how is he doing? Yeah, not that bad. I mean, not that better. He still has speech impediment. And for those of you who are new, he used to be a pastor who, he, who used to have his, his speech was about three, four times faster fluently. And I, I'm just so slow that some, some people basically said, can you speed up? I, I just gave a hard time you were taking so much time. But now, my brother has so much energy. It takes so much energy to say a one sentence. And I could tell you this, because of assurance of his hope, he is marked with joy. When I want to comfort him, I actually get comforted by his presence of joy and peace. And with boy-like, boy childlike enthusiasm, he shared one thing I'm thankful for very slowly once again during our sharing time, during the Thanksgiving meal. He said, uh, they asked me again to preach five minutes in the previous church that he planted. And I finally said yes. Although I'm worried because my one, he, he has to type one finger. I mean, his right-handed side is... Uh, affected by brain uh, infection as well. But I am excited. We're going to translate into English. My son, Ernest, will read that sermon in English in for five minutes. But I get to preach five minutes. If anything's real, this is real that I need to share. I know things that going through your, your life is very insecure. Nothing's really constant. And with all the dangers going on with, you know, mass shootings and terrorism and all that, there's a, a evident fear is there too. But if we have the true gospel... And then by faith and faith alone, we have Jesus, who is the most treasured joy of the entire world. For eternity, we will spend time with him. And this is not a make-believe. This is a firm foundation, blessed assurance. Will you embrace it with full heart, full joy, and faith, and faith alone?
Secondly, we are to uphold sola fide by bearing fruit of saving faith in our everyday life. James chapter 2, verse 17 through 19. So holds faith by itself if it does not have works is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God, God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. At the surface, this sounds like contradicting to what Apostle Paul has been preaching. Now, actually, this is one thing about saving faith, having fruit. True saving faith is not dead. It's not without works. And you know, you know what that means? Let me be very straightforward. Grace opposed to meriting, not activity, not our effort, gusto effort. If Evangeline can share crossway story, every single one of you who are hesitant could, could share. For the glory of God. If you have a saving faith, you could serve in. in, in uh, when we go to homeless outreach, not because it earns you salvation, but because you're overflowing with gratitude for your salvation. And David uh, is looking for another volunteer for putting together the uh, photo montage. Small things like that. Our worship team still looking for uh, even the Someone who could do PowerPoint. Someone who could serve our youth. Someone who could pray for every single prayer request. Let me just go to this one and I'm going to finish with one final quote. We are to uphold sola fide by acknowledging our nakedness in faith alone for our salvation. Romans 4, Paul is using Abraham as an example of faith alone. In verse 23, he writes, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also ours. But, all, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who, who believe in him who, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What does it take for us to receive Jesus Christ and God's free gift of justification by faith? Acknowledging our nakedness. That we cannot bring anything to earn, to, to merit God's accept, acceptance. We just sang Rock of Ages. And I'm grateful Michelle had us repeat verse 3 intentionally. That's the posture of Faith and faith alone. But I close with this poignant words from John R. W. Stott. As we stand before the cross, we begin to gain a clear view both of God and of ourselves, especially in relation to each other. Instead of inflicting upon the judgment we deserved, God in Christ endured it in our place. Hell is the only alternative. This is a scandal. The stumbling block of the cross. For our proud, proud hearts rebel against it. 
we cannot bear it to acknowledge either the seriousness of our sin and guilt or, or our utter indebtedness to the cross. Surely we say there must be something we can do or at least contribute in order to make amends. If not, we often give the impression that we would rather suffer our own punishment than the humiliation of seeing God through Christ buried in our place. But we cannot escape the embarrassment of standing stark naked before God. It is no use our trying to cover up like Adam and Eve in the garden. Our attempts at self-justification are as ineffectual as their fig leaves. We have to acknowledge our nakedness. See the divine substitute wearing our filthy rags instead of us and allow him to clothe us with his own righteousness. Nobody has ever put it better than Augustus Toplady in his immortal hymn, Rock of Ages. And this is the third stanza. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. And my prayer for each one of you, sisters and brothers, that we will no longer wait until we get a chance to contribute or change first. Let's acknowledge our nakedness. Come to him with nothing in your hand. Receive his free gift by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so that ultimately your salvation brings glory of God alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this amazing grace that we would come to you with nothing in our hands. That we cling to you with the utter desperation of a beggar. And thank you that you even allowed us and gave us faith as a sovereign grace. Now, would you teach us to guard the gospel, to bear the fruit of saving faith, and to acknowledge our nakedness in faith alone. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.